Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. COVID-19 has impacted our lives unexpectedly and immeasurably. Workplace interactions with coworkers have been particularly limited. Some we miss, some coworkers we don't. However, whether in person or remote, the need to connect with and engage employees has remained a critical aspect of leadership and delivery of services to clients, customers, and employees as well. Now, individuals employed in HR roles, like many others, have had to adapt to what I call our new employment reality. Now, just imagine, imagine as an HR professional trying to manage one or more of the following, hiring, staff development, employee and or labor relations, employee benefits and compensation. Imagine being responsible for any one or more of these functions. Then imagine being responsible for them and handling them remotely. Now, depending on the employer, another function that may or may not be positioned in the HR organization is diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI for short. Now, against the recent backdrop of social unrest in this country, there's been an increased focus by organizations on the importance of demonstrating a commitment to DEI. My guest, Rita Mitchens, who is a native of Cuba, lives DEI personally and professionally. Rita moved to the United States at age seven. Years later, she earned a bachelor's degree in marketing from St. John's University and an MBA in finance and general management from the Harvard Business School. She has more than 35 years of leadership experience and served on the board of advisors of Catalyst, which, so you know, is a global nonprofit organization that works with hundreds of companies across the world to accelerate women into leadership. Rita is also a former member of the Council of Global Diversity and Inclusion Executives of the Conference Board. Welcome, Rita, and thank you for joining me today. 
Thank you, Beverly, for that very kind welcome. My pleasure. So let's talk about DEI and how we can turn related efforts into opportunities. But before we go, I should have told you, I should have mentioned this before we started. Can you tell me a little bit about the conference board? I looked it up and I read what it said, but I wasn't quite sure that I understood exactly how it works. And because there are different components as I, as I, as I read. Yes, yes. So the conference board, um, think of it as a almost like a professional membership organization. Uh, and many organizations, uh, both public, private and nonprofit, uh, can join and can send leaders to their what I'm going to call so specialty groups. So they have uh, conference board does have professional memberships for all of the major functions, uh, whether, you know, in, in HR, within HR and the talent function, obviously diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, sales and marketing. Think of all the corporate disciplines that people might have an area of expertise in. They create what what, what is basically a board of members that share experiences, share best practices, and they have an opportunity to really come together with peers, right, in their field and in a variety of industries to share those best practices. Okay, I had not heard of that before, which means nothing. But, you know, just for for my own, my personal edification, I was interested. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. Now, if you could just describe your employment journey for our listeners. Sure, sure. So I, uh, as, as you mentioned, I graduated from St. John's with a marketing degree. I, I started my career in uh, client service and sales. So I spent probably the first, uh, call it uh, eight to 10 years of my career in a variety of uh, sales and sales leadership roles. Uh, then I decided uh, that I wanted to go back to school and get my MBA. So I went to Harvard. And after I went to Harvard, I went into the financial services industry. And I spent 10 years in financial services in a variety of uh, business development, uh, operational and finance uh, oriented roles, including investor relations, M&A strategy. So I had all of those different kinds of functions uh, while I was uh, in financial services. And then okay. let and- me just. Right. Let me just clarify. M&A is mergers and acquisitions, yes. right? Mergers and acquisitions. Sorry. <laughs> no, I just want to make sure that our listeners, you know, understand and, and, and can follow. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so, so M&A and mergers and acquisitions. I, I basically uh, work directly for the managing director in charge of a division who was looking to grow uh, their market share in a particular uh, sector of the market. And I was uh, leading one of the teams to look at potential uh, acquisition opportunities uh, to grow that business. So that's what I did there. Um, And then in 2000, I joined ADP as the VP of marketing and strategy for one of their fast growing divisions uh, in the PEO, professional employer organization called ADP Total Source. And I spent my first uh, nine years with uh, ADP, uh, actually in Miami, Florida, uh, again, in a variety of different uh, marketing strategy and uh, operating roles, including leading the uh, division's benefits, uh, open enrollment, and um, carrier relations function for, for all of the small business clients that ADP supported. Uh, and then after that, in 2009, I basically moved back to New Jersey to corporate headquarters to become the head of marketing for ADP. Uh, did that for a few years. And then my last uh, assignment with ADP was actually leading the organization's diversity, 
inclusion and corporate social responsibility efforts until September of 2019 when I decided to retire and move back to Miami. So that's uh, a bit of my uh, sort of long-winded professional journey. And now I am uh, enjoying, as I like to call it, rewirement, <laughs> not retirement, <laughs> because, <laughs> because retirement to me connotes doing, you know, not much. Uh, I'm actually doing quite a bit, but I'm doing a lot of things that I'm personally passionate about, uh, including uh, volunteering my time with a number of uh, nonprofits. Uh, I, I sit on the board of a couple of other smaller organizations and nonprofits. And then I also do consulting work in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's great. That's great. Now, as a, as a chief diversity and inclusion officer, what was your, what were your favorite thing? What was your favorite aspect of that role? It just made you want to get up every morning and, and go into work because you you really were so motivated. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and, and it really, truly was, uh, as I look back at my career, Beverly, it really, truly was my favorite role. And, and the reason why it was is because I had the opportunity to really impact and design what the culture of the organization, a very large global organization of 58,000 employees um, you know, in 40 plus different countries, you know, what the culture of the organization was going to be like. And having the ability to have that level of influence and help the, uh, the leadership of the company prioritize and, and invest in opportunities for advancing talent across the board, right? Uh, diverse talent, the opportunity to create cult- a culture where all of our associates felt like they belonged that their voices were being heard, and that they had an opportunity to do their best work. So for me, just incredibly uh, personally rewarding to be able to have that level of an impact at, at an organization, quite frankly, that is not just as large, but as important as ADP is in the sort of uh, the sphere, if you will, right, of, of our economy. When you think about how many people ADP touches in terms of uh, employees that they serve and uh, and pay. No, absolutely, absolutely. Now, was there any aspect of that role that that you didn't feel that great about? You know that you might have wanted to do differently. I, I you know, I don't know. It, it it seems that there's always the the ebbs and flows of, of, sure. of whatever role you're in. Sure. Well, listen, I think I think the challenge with any role like mine, uh, which is a staff role and an, and an influence role, you know, I had a very small team, right? So I had a very small team responsible for very large, I would say, areas of responsibility in terms of things that we were trying to to drive and to change. So I would say probably the biggest challenge in a role like that is just the fact that you're always going to be resource constrained. Right. And that you you're you're also forced to trade off oftentimes, you know, priorities that are that you feel are equally important and that you want to pursue, but that you can't always pursue uh, in the same, uh, I would say, within the same rigor or with the same rigor that you'd like. Um, so that's, I think, just a, in general, a challenge of any uh, of any staff function. Um, and, and for people who are, I would say, accustomed to owning their results. I think one of the other challenges of being in a, in a role like that is that you can do the architecting, right? And the designing of the strategy, and you can have all the things in place to help measure that success. But in, in the end, 
the real execution of the strategy relies upon the business, right? It relies upon the leaders in the business. Yeah. So, you know, not having that, what I'm going to call direct control over how things that you have designed get implemented sometimes, you know, can sometimes be a little frustrating, but uh, I would say that's a, that's a small, small aspect compared to the, the more rewarding aspect of, you know, being able to really change culture. Yeah, you know, you touched on thing something that's that's critical and that listeners really need to be aware of resources. Mm-hmm. And given in today's economy and the impact of the of COVID, there are gonna be fewer resources, financial and otherwise. Sure. Uh and it's going to take understanding and commitment and shoulder to I don't know whatever the whatever the entity is whatever the 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 big boulder is and everybody's going to have to be pulling together and that's not going to be easy that's not going to be easy because that's not what people have been used to right well listen I think you touched on a very important theme of this conversation right which is collaboration like in other I don't know in any organization how any work gets done unless you're able to really collaborate right with others and and others that may not be necessarily in your direct sphere of influence. So I think that the the COVID reality has really um, highlighted the importance and the need to develop relationships with people outside of your direct sphere, to be able to look for creative ways to get to know other people and get to work with other people in a collaborative way. Uh, And I think that the technology, you know, candidly has helped that to a certain extent, because even though we're not physically together uh, in the office, let's say these days, the fact that you can use Zoom or Microsoft Teams or you know whatever platform you you typically use to do video conferencing from your laptop, I mean that really does, I think, address some of the challenges of not being physically together. No, it does. I I, I am just amazed by how swiftly and. I would even say almost seamlessly business and their employees, businesses and their employees have just glommed onto these platforms and made it work. Yeah. I forget that people are still working, you know, because I know everything is remote, but I forget what that means. Yeah. And I have called friends or texted friends and they'll say, Oh, I'll call you after I finish. I'm I'm going to be on this. I'm going to be working on this until 5:30. And I'm like, "Oh, wow. Yes." <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I've been so fo- I've been doing, you know, working from home for so long now. It's se- you know, this is just second nature to me. Right. But people are actually doing work constructively, remotely. Yeah. And you're right. We need to be more collaborative. But what I have found is that we tend before COVID to be more insular. Yeah. That people tend to stay in their own little groups and interact with those that they've known for an extended period of time and they're familiar with and they're comfortable with. And in given everything that's going on in the world today, to your point, there needs to be more collaboration and we need to step outside of what may be a comfort zone 
and get to know other people because I'm an advocate of of embracing difference, differences. You cannot live in this world, I don't think, and live in in this world expansively and being all that you can be. Unless and until you meet people where they are and you learn who they are. And you may not want to have anything else to do with them. (laughs) But you may find a friend. You may find common ground among people you never thought you would find. And that's just, I think we need to do more of that. And that's where I see diversity um, equity and inclusion coming into expanding our horizons in terms of interpersonal relationships. Yeah, critical. I mean, it's, it's really the underpinning of inclusion, right? So people, you know, I I always like to say, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, what's the difference between diversity and inclusion? I said, well, you know, diversity is the what. Inclusion is the how, right? So diversity yeah. is really about, you know, what makes you who you are, what, what characteristics, what's your background, you know, gender, et cetera. Those, those are things, if you will, that describe who you are. But, but inclusion is really, more, it's, it's, it's much more subtle than that because it's really about how you make others feel. It's the verb. It's the, exactly. So it's really it's about, you know, it's about what, what are you doing to create an environment where, you know, people are feeling comfortable that they can share aspects about their personal life or their personal uh, perspectives on things and not feel attacked and not feel like they're being, you know, excluded all of a sudden right. now in, in an outgroup that is no longer part of, of the organization. So I think it's so, it's such a critical element of. Uh, it is. And equity is the standard. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. A level playing field. Yeah. A level platform. You know, everyone treated the same. You know, I think okay. it's. Yeah, I think it's an important point to to remind our listeners too the difference between equity and equality because they're not mm. the same thing, right? So, right. you know, before I started doing this work, candidly, I would be the one to focus on equality, right? So, I was always very concerned about making sure that everyone had equal equal access, equal rights, etc. And, and that's important, don't get me wrong, it's very important, but it's not enough. And the reason why I say it's not enough is because if you only focus on equality, you're assuming that everybody starts from the same point. And the reality right. is that we don't all start from the same point. And the whole point of equity is to is to allow people the opportunity to start from that same point. And in some cases, we may need to help someone a little bit more than someone else because they're starting from way further behind, Right. And so that's, that's the concept of equity. Uh, and I think that, you know, it, it is so important that, you know, when we're talking about this work, that people realize the difference. Because, uh, as I said, a lot of companies that I've talked to and that I work with today, that they're focused on equality, which is, again, very important, but it's insufficient. But, you know, there's a question around remediation. Those who may need it may not want it especially if the label that's attached to it is something that has been, that has negative connotation, like affirmative action. Yeah. Yeah. It means opportunities. You're given the opportunity. You have to, you have to do the work to succeed, but at least you're getting the opportunity. There are people that I've spoken to in law school and elsewhere 
who have shunned affirmative action. They don't want that label. They want it on their own merit. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's only giving you an opportunity. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think I think you raise a very interesting point and I'll share something very personal, um, you know, regarding this this issue, because I, I understand why the people that you were talking to would say that. Right. So when I applied to Harvard, I never checked the box that I was Hispanic. And the reason I didn't check the box is because I didn't want to. For myself. Be accepted because they were trying to, quote unquote, fill a quota. Right. right. So for, for me, it was very it was very personal and very meaningful to not check the box, right? To say, hey, I got in here on my own merit. But now looking back, right? I mean, I'm glad I was accepted on my own merit. But the reality is that was that the smartest thing to do? Because I would have been potentially not giving myself that opportunity that I was absolutely entitled to because I had all the other qualifications. It's just that exactly. sometimes it's just that sometimes, you know, because of, again, the law of numbers, the law of averages, the, wh- where you come from, et cetera, you know, you don't see that representation the way in the same at the same level that maybe you would expect to see. So I, I do I can I, I guess m- my point is I can see the argument on both sides. And I think what it comes down to is language. It's the way we talk about it. And it's making sure that we're clear that this is, you know, that this isn't a, it isn't diminishing in any way the accomplishment or the opportunity for that individual. Well, let me share a story, one of my stories, because it's just the opposite. I competed for a law review when I was in law school and they had an affirmative action uh, component. You could submit a card, an index card, with your name on it, if you were a minority or socially and financially disadvantaged, I submitted the card. I know what I knew what affirmative action was, and mm-hmm. I knew if I, I it was an opportunity, sure. and I knew that it would give me, it could give me a leg up. I know what knew it was better to have and not have, and use it than not use it. Mm-hmm. So I submitted the card. I didn't find out. I made law review. I didn't find out until 10 years after I had graduated from law school when I was attending a law school event and the dean said from the stage, you know, we've had (laughs) we've had an affirmative action component in our law review process and we haven't used it in more than 10 years. I almost fell off my chair. Wow. I said, I didn't know. I did. But I knew that I could write. I knew that I wrote well, and I knew that I would do whatever I had to do to make sure that my writing was up to snuff. So it was just giving me an opportunity to make law review, but I didn't know, to your point, that I had made it on my own without the benefit of affirmative action. But that a young man that I spoke to and tried to encourage to you to submit a card. He wouldn't do it. Mm. He didn't make law review. Now, who knows? He might have made it other if he had submitted a card. Right. Because he was many years after after I was. I go back to law school periodically and talk to students. But, you know, it's it's just better to have and not need than to need and not have. Yeah, so well said. That's the way I look at things. 
And, but it's the, it's the stigma of affirmative action. And one of my dear friends who happens not to be a minority, she said, you know, affirmative action means that one of my children may not get a job. And I said, well, it only means that the person, the minority person is going to be given a shot. Your kids right. already have a shot to use Lynn Manuel's work. You know, you want to get your shot. They've got one. Right. We're trying to get one. But, you know, I understood her concern as a parent. Sure. Sure. Well, I, I think it goes back to educating yourself, right? In terms of, you know, what do the, what do these terms really mean, and and how do they get operationalized, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, affirmative action is is not about. I mean, it's not a it's not a forced quota system. I think no. I think her concern would be legitimate if, in fact, it was a forced quota system. But the reality is that today we're all competing for jobs. We're all competing for opportunities based on our qualifications. We just want to have a fair shot. Exactly. That's it. We just want to have a fair shot because if, in fact, that wasn't needed, meaning meaning if, in fact, we saw that in the large population that we had equal representation, meaning proportionate representation of women and people of color in leadership as we do in society, then this conversation wouldn't be necessary if, if those things from a statistical standpoint were happening. And, you know, what, what I used to say when I was, you know, at ADP was in a perfect world, you know, if you have women making up 49.6% of your workforce, they should make up 49.6% of your senior leadership in a perfect world. In a perfect world. Now, well, we, we, don't, don't, we know we don't live in a perfect right. world. We, we, we don't live in a perfect world. And so then we need to think about, well, what are the what are the obstacles? What are the reasons why we don't live in a perfect world? And then what can we do to make the world more perfect, meaning to make the world more um, behave more in a way that we would expect to see if we didn't have all of these unconscious biases and all these other issues that get in the way? people getting selected for particular roles. And it goes back to the people making the decisions today, the majority of them are white and they're male. That's just a fact. I mean, yes. no, no matter where, no matter what company you look at, the majority of, of leaders making those, those hiring decisions, if you will, those talent decisions, including at the board level, are white and they're male. Now, white males make up 37% of the population but they make up over 80% of the boards. Well, isn't that interesting? And I think there's an effort to keep it that way, isn't there? Yeah, there is. <laughs> so, so again, like when you look at those anomalies, and I call them anomalies because, again, in, in, a, in a normal, quote unquote, and I use the word normal in quotes because I'm talking about statistics, in a normal distribution, you would not expect to see that level of anomaly. Right. I don't know what the answer is. And although this is not traditionally part of DEI, there's another component of differences that bothers me. Regional differences, geographic differences within our country. Yeah. I really hadn't thought of it that much until I started working for ADP and I I started traveling around the country to the company's different locations. 
There are different ways of doing the same thing in different regions of this country. Yeah. There are different social mores in different areas of this country. And the uninitiated, and I really don't know how you become initiated, but those who, for example, move from New York to Georgia and take and to take a job, it's a different mindset from one place to the other. Yeah, completely. It is. Having spent some, not a lot of time, but spent some time in Florida, I know Florida is different than Georgia. Yes. And diff- there, and it's also different than New York. California is different than New York. Being in Minnesota, I've been in Minnesota. That's different. So it's like we're not a homogeneous country. Nope, not far from it. Far from it. But we, it seems that we're. It seems like that's become instead of a, a nice to have a benefit. It seems to have become, let's call it an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's a negative as opposed to a positive. Let's put it that way, generically. Yeah. yeah. And I'm always so interested to hear from people. And I tried to make this podcast diverse in terms of geography. I've interviewed someone in Utah, Ohio. Uh, my niece happens to be a certified nurse's aide in South Dakota. So I'm trying to mix it up. And and you being in, in Florida is great. Absolutely great. So, you know, I want people to feel that they're included when I they were included when I thought about this um, this podcast. You know, one of my friends asked me to be on your podcast. Do you have to have a degree? I said, no. But it was something that I hadn't thought of. I, you know, I knew what I was planning to do, but I hadn't done it yet. You know, the people who had been, who started out uh, the first interviews were college educated uh, people, but that wasn't my plan. And now there are a number who haven't been. So I'm getting the diversity that I want so that people will feel included when they, when they tune into my podcast. Well, listen, as, as we all know, there are so many paths to success, right? What do we call success? Success, first of all, is very personally defined. Exactly. And, you know, if, if we're talking about financial independence or we're talking about, you know, other levels of success, the reality is that you, those things are not necessarily tied to having a college degree and that there's a lot, there's a lot of success that comes from individuals who have gone out on their own and become entrepreneurs, right? Um, have leveraged skill sets and done things with their, you know, with their not sort of life and knowledge um, in areas that have benefited others. So there's just so many, uh, as you said, so many ways, so many diverse ways of thinking about this um, that, that touches geography, that touches background, that touches educational background. Exactly. I mean, the whole exactly. point, yeah, I mean, the whole point, I think of, of all of this, I hope for the listeners is that they can, they can not, they can see themselves um, in someone or or a piece of themselves in everyone, uh, which would be probably e- even more likely, and that there are so many things that unite us in terms of things that we we share in common, as well as there are many things that you know divide us in the sense of you know 
the way we might have uh, grown up or the way that we might, the things that we may have been exposed to or not exposed to uh, that can certainly shape the way we think and the way that we, you know, treat others. And so, you know, hopefully people see the value in getting to know folks that are different from themselves. And that's the beauty of this podcast and of other, of bringing in people from all different parts of the country and, and different roles, et cetera, is, is to learn from others who are different from you, who maybe think different from you, and maybe that can help you open up your own way of thinking about issues that would otherwise not have happened, you know, had you not been exposed, again, to people who think differently from you. Exactly. Exactly. What are you doing now? You said you've, you're on boards, you're helping, you're, you're consulting. To your, to your point about entrepreneurs, I, inter- I interviewed a young entrepreneur recently who wasn't college educated, very successful. So, you know, I, I wanted to give that slant too. Definitely. So that your point. Yeah, definitely. You define your success for you. It's personal. And I think people need to understand that better. You know, success is not what your parents say. Success Success is what you want to do, what you feel will uh, be gratifying or fulfilling to you. Yeah, and I think that that's a that, that is something that I think our generation, Beverly, maybe di- maybe didn't understand until much later in our life or in our careers, right? So I think about my daughter's generation. You know, she's twenty five. She's a millennial. You know, her definition of success is happiness. It's sort of doing things that she finds meaningful. So it's having a purpose, right, uh, and that align with her values, and that's how yeah. she defines success. Nowhere in that conversation is you know making X dollars. Yes. Right. But certainly when I was growing up, I think financial success was a a key metric, if you will, or having a title or, you know, having a certain position level were the ways that I think my generation defines success, which I think is limiting, quite frankly, because not that those things are not important. Of course, they are. We all want to live comfortably, but that shouldn't be the primary driver of what it is that you do in your life, right? Or, you know, what makes you motivated to get up every morning? You know, hopefully the work that you do and and the meaning that that work has for you hopefully is what gets you motivated to get up in the morning. I would say, I would say differently. If that, if, if, if you're motivated by money, have at it. If that gets you up in the morning and it and it motivates you to go to work and yeah. become a productive member of society, have at it. It wouldn't work for me, but if it works for you, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, for, for, for sure. I mean, my, my, my only point was that I think for myself, speaking for myself, that I think I was caught up in that that was the only way to define it. Well, yeah, I think, I think, but you know, you, you had defined it, defined it when you got a college degree. Yeah. For my family, that was, that was successful after I got a degree. Right. You know, because the people in my family were not, I think I, I had one uncle that had graduated from college, but I was the second one. I was the first woman. Yeah. So, you know, that was success in my parents' eyes. Sure. You know, it didn't have a price tag on it, but, you know, it, that was success. And then the next degree 
was more of a success. And then going to law school was just the end all be all. But, you know, it's, it's different things for different people. And depending on how, to your earlier point, how we, how you come up, what your, what your, your journey has been. Some, some people who've been very uh, deprived financially, very poor, money means a great deal. Absolutely. Right. You know, and, and I get it. I absolutely get it. But, you know, I, I think that it's the personal interaction. The fact that we're doing things remotely, we, we need proximity. <laughs> we, need to, we need to interact face-to-face person to person. Right. And we're without that, it's like it's almost like we're it's an out of body situation. We're not who we really are. Yeah. And I hear from my friends. For me it's not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I've been doing this for many years now. My friends are about to lose their minds. Right. Yeah. But I, I'm okay. <laughs> this is this, I get a lot done, but then I, I, I'm the kind of person that, okay, if I make a list the night of the night before of what I want to get done, I can do it the next day. And I just check off everything and I feel a sense of accomplishment, but I'm, I'm concerned that people are not going out and they're not meeting people who are different from them. Right. They're yeah. not in engaging and interacting, at least at work where people were different, they were thrown together. Mm. There was really no choice, but they're not, it's not happening now because they're not together. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done around inclusion and equity. Yeah, for sure. And uh, listen, I think uh, I, I think some of the some of the tech companies actually are leveraging a lot of the so, so some of the newer social platforms where people can collaborate uh, for work. Uh, they're actually leveraging some of those platforms to create environments that actually, in a sense, encourage and, and enforce people that are different from each other to get together and to and to learn more about each other. And and I think that there are little things that we can all do in our interactions with folks, right? So I think about, you know, when you're having a meeting with people that are from different, you know, different parts of the country or different divisions or different parts of the world, you know, just taking a first few minutes of a meeting to genuinely recognize what people are working on and doing on a personal level, like getting to getting to know people outside of just the work. So I think being more intentional about creating those personal relationships and getting people to feel comfortable talking about, you know, what's it like working from home when you have, you know, kids that are also learning remotely and you have to be on a Zoom call and, you know, your uh, eight-year-old comes over and asks you to help with their homework. You know, those are real world scenarios today. Well, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, in the beginning, um, in March, April, May, I think there was more consideration and understanding for particularly parents in that situation. But as it as the as the, as the you know the working remotely dragged on, it became less um, less tolerated. At least for uh, that's what I'm hearing from friends. Yeah. Well, so this this is where the challenge of leadership comes in, right? Because 
nothing's changed, unfortunately, for those parents, right? So the fact that this has gotten dragged out and it's going to continue to get dragged out until, you know, hopefully we'll have a vaccine or something to to get out of this mess. Uh, The reality is that those parents are still faced with the same challenges. Um, they, They are still, unfortunately, being pulled into different directions at home because everyone's at home. Yes. And so... You know, I go back to the leaders, you know, it's the leader's responsibility to to re- sort of recognize and acknowledge and particularly for women, because I think women tend to take on more of the responsibility for parenting, you know, especially when it comes to kids and, you know, homework and school, you know, oftentimes the moms are the ones that have, that, that are the go-to for those things. And yeah, they're the glue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, unfortunately, as I said, you know, the reality is the work still needs to get done. Companies still have to operate. They still have to get, you know, their clients still need to be serviced, but we need to have more flexibility in the way that we do that work so that we can allow our employees the opportunity to flex when they need to, to take care of responsibilities that they have at home that right now they have no choice but to deal with. No, I know you're right, but I think, quite frankly, the problem is that this pandemic has worn thin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, nerves are frayed and people want to do what they want to do and they want done what they need done when they need it done. It's just becoming less, people are becoming less tolerant and less understanding, but the circumstances haven't changed. And if we believe what's going on, it's getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, this is the challenge of of inclusion, right? Um, It it is about being able to recognize, you know, those pressure points and the fact that different people bring different challenges, you know, based on who they are and what's going on in their lives. And, you know, again, going back to engagement, if we want to engage our employees to do their best work, you know, we have to recognize that uh, they're not robots, and that they, you know, it's, again, from a leadership perspective, there is some responsibility to to adapt to those changing, you know, challenges. Well, we both know that everyone who has a leadership role is not a good leader. Sad, sad but true, Beverly. Sad but true. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It unfortunately. Now, before we before we we end. Do you have any advice for people who find themselves exposed for the first time to a variety of different cultures that they're really unfamiliar with? People who do things different that differently yeah. than they're than they're used to. How do you embrace that? Sure. And sure. Like? I think that would be helpful. Yeah, for sure. Listen, I, I I would say I would start by practicing active listening, um, which is really uh, being, you know, being thoughtful and open to listen to how how others think, um, and then being appropriately inquisitive, like curious about, hey, why do you think that, right? So it's really about getting to know the perspective of others, and being open to listening to why they might feel that way, right? So I think oftentimes we don't we don't we don't really take the time to understand the why. And I think sometimes if we understood the why, we might be ourselves more tolerant, right, of those differences. I think just 
practicing, yeah, practicing that, you know, active listening and seeking to understand, I think is important. And along the same lines, you know, sort of putting ourselves in the shoes of someone else, right? So, you know, oftentimes, you know, it's easy to be critical about people and about people's reactions in certain situations. But, you know, unless you've walked a mile in their shoes, it's, it's, you know, it's unfair, right, to judge someone's reaction or or statement or or point of view without really understanding and and living kind of their experience. So this again goes hand in hand with getting to know others and getting to know about others on a more you know personal level so that you get to understand a little bit more about their backgrounds and where they come from because that might help you understand why they might respond in a certain way in a situation that you may not agree with. No, it's communication. It, it definitely is communication. Listening, asking questions. Yeah. It, just being being receptive to exploring. Exactly. Yeah. Not being curious. Being curious. Being yeah. curious and not having a closed mind, not pre not judging things in advance. Exactly. Not thinking that you know, being open to what you hear and what you're told. And considering it, 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 even if it's different than what you thought. Exactly. And, and look, I mean, there's no, look, individuals are going to have different points of view on things. And that's, I think, to be expected. Um, I always like to say, you know, showing someone respect is really about acknowledging that their point of view has value, just like your point of view has value. You, you, may, you may, in the end, agree that you can't agree <laughs> on, sure. on the particular issue, but that doesn't necessarily undermine the other individual's value. And so I think that that's, you know, showing people that, again, that level of respect, I think is, is important in, in dealing with folks um, that, you know, are different from us uh, in many ways. You're absolutely right. We just need to start practicing at least the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I didn't know that there was also a platinum rule. Yes. Do unto others as they would, as they want you to do unto them. I was them. just, that was going to be my, that was going to be my additive. Yep, absolutely. Say, oh my goodness. How would I know? <laughs> well, there, there you go. It comes back full circle, right? You, you, right. You have to ask. You to have to point. ask. Exactly. Exactly. That, I mean, if we, if we start there, I think we could make great strides, Rita. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, no, I, I so agree. And, uh, and and we may surprise ourselves, right, in terms of how much, how little we know, right, uh, about others when we make assumptions without really getting, uh, taking the time to really get to know each other. Um, you might be surprised. No, I, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm always surprised. My mouth is always in an oh, oh, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> But, you know, that's living life. And I, you know, I appreciate the interaction with others. And I, although I miss it, this podcast keeps me engaged because I've met so many different people with different, with dif- different stories, different journeys, different experiences. And I hopefully people are listening and they're getting something from it. Yeah. But I so appreciate you taking taking the time today to 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 share your your employment journey and your your DEI 
viewpoint. It's 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 been very compelling, and I appreciate it because I've learned uh, a great deal, and I hope our listeners have too. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity, obviously, to uh, reconnect with you and also to uh, connect with your listeners. And uh, listen, uh, we're all on this journey together. We live on we, we live in the same planet, in the same society. Hopefully, we uh, continue to you know give each other that. Uh, that same level of uh, respect and commitment and, uh, you know, humanity that uh, we all crave. I agree. Thank you so much. And let's keep in touch. Absolutely. Thanks, Beverly. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.